Are you longing for real life change and lasting impact? Here at More To Be, we believe that is possible through a fresh encounter with God and His Word. I'm Angela Sackett. And I'm Lisa Pulliam. And together, we want to help you think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day. So welcome back to part two. We have special guest Sarah Aramick with us. And girls, we are so excited to have her. Um, we thought maybe it would just be a quick conversation, but we have we've been soaking it in and we're excited for you to do the same. So I love hearing what you're saying, Sarah. And it's interesting because when I interviewed Leah, my daughter, on the previous episodes, a couple of episodes ago that we did with her, we were talking about mentoring and we we're talking about Psalm 78 and how God has commissioned us to tell the story of his faithfulness to the next yeah. generation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sitting here. I wish everybody could actually see us because I, I could cry the whole time listening to you <laughs> oh. because we're walking through some difficult things and you standing there, sitting there saying, you know, and I, I see your fist pounding, you know, on the, on the table <laughs> of like preacher's daughter. <laughs> yeah. Well, a warrior of God is no, really take what I see. Like, you're not saying it's easy to walk through those things. You're not saying that um, the struggle and the suffering that you endured uh, made you joyous but, per se, but that you have a steadfastness mm -hmm. in your faith that inspires me to say, I want to be like Sarah, not you in your life, but in that yeah. steadfastness. Mm -hmm. It's the same reason why, like, you know, uh, in the recording of this, it's the day after we find out that two days since Billy Graham died, right? Yep. This, yep. this week. And my, my perspective on that is that man was steadfast to his last breath. And he went through difficulties. His son happened to be a boarding student at the school that my husband and I came from and got kicked out because he was such a rebel. And Is that Franklin? Uh, yeah, Franklin. And all the years that we were there, I always, every time we dealt with a difficult kid or every time I saw my difficult children and thought, oh, Lord, I don't know if I can endure like, can I do this? I was thinking, okay, Franklin turned out okay, and Billy endured. <laughs> like, this was the, yeah, right. the, right. the testimony. Right. And so we're in a difficult time, not not a rebellion with our kids, but they're in a suffering season. And clinging to the fact that Billy endured, yeah. I need those stories. And so having yeah. you here saying you went through this in Germany and your husband and your granddaughter and your own surgery and that you are enduring for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, that's the message we need to hear. Right, Angela? We need that in front of us. <laughs> Not and, you the know, you, and you can't do it by gritting your teeth and, and making fists and getting through. Mm. To me, there's another element here. You have to feel pain and endure um, pain, whatever kind it is, if you're ever going to help this person down the road later. I can look at somebody, like, I'll tell you somebody that I can't help well. I can give scripture to, I can love, I'm very empathetic. I cry with people, I do everything. But a woman who's been divorced, who's had a terrible marriage, I love them, I care for them. Am I the best person to deal with them? No, I've never been through it. I knew a man that was faithful and true to me. And I have that, I have that awful memory of death of watching his body become emaciated. I don't even want to think those thoughts someday, but that love that he had for me and what we had as a couple, 
I have that behind me. So I don't have that bitterness and that awfulness that another does. But what God puts you through, and like going through to Germany, somebody said, oh, I used to pray. Um, I'm not a, you might edit this. <laughs> I'm not a tongue speaker. I don't particularly believe in speaking in tongues, but I prayed for one tongue when I was in Germany. I prayed for German. I said, Lord, if you did it at Pentecost, you could do it for me. Awesome. <laughs> he didn't. He put me through the pain of years of making terrible mistakes with my language and causing people to laugh. And 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 it was a battle. But can I help young missionaries today that are going through cultural yes. change? I sure can. But if I hadn't felt that pain, and then when I, when I was in the cancer um, outreach business, I would talk to people on the phone because uh, they would call our office. And I was the one that would always kind of get the background story. And then we had volunteers that I had trained to walk along with these people with cancer. Mm. And, and they would say to me, oh, my goodness, it's so wonderful to talk to you. I can tell in your voice you know what I'm saying. Now, could, I faked, could I have faked that? Never. Mm -mm. Never. I could only say it because at times I would break down because it had only been two years when I started that, when I lost my, my husband. So we have to go through these times. That's where we learn. That's where we deepen or we become bitter and we shove off the lessons God's trying to teach us. Oh wow! So tell yeah. us how not to become bitter. I think that there are women that are listening to this. What are the telltale signs of becoming bitter and how do you reroute from that? Uh, one big telltale sign is comparison. These kind of, and that starts to make you bitter. Or mm -hmm. so, some of your friends who have these loving relationships, and do I want a man's arms around me? Do I, my daughter says too much information, mom? When I say <laughs> I long to kiss again, you know, it just shuts off for one day, then it's gone. It's mm -hmm. gone, and then you go for years when you've known that the oil of that beautiful relationship and how it kept you going. So you start to compare. Look at them over there. She still got that. Look at that over there. She didn't go through this. Look at her over there. Those are telltale signs that I notice in me. That's I start great. to compare. And, and the point is, this woman over here, God has his path with all of us. And at one particular season of life, yours may be rougher than somebody else's, a whole lot rougher. But if they are a child of God and they're striving to become like Christ, it's coming down the road. I don't mean to sound mm -hmm. negative, but mm -hmm. that's the only thing you learn when there's nothing else to do but lean on. There's nobody you can turn to. There's nothing. It's that moment before you go into big surgery when your family has hugged you and kissed you and said goodbye, and they're suspecting you might have cancer. That happened to me. And I remember going into that operating room and just, 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 just so tight and so tense and so I can't have my husband beside me while I wander ether and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord just spoke to me. And I'm here. I'm still here. I've mm. been here all the time. And I'm all you need. And mm. I how to say this, but I don't even know how to say this. It's like I got more of God at that moment. I, mm. I grew in him to a new level of trust. Not mm. that more battles can come down the road, but each time... You recognize that there is, there are no props. There's nothing there. And most of the time we don't recognize that because in America, especially in our Christian world, we have props everywhere. We can call uh. girlfriend, just have props. But when they're all taken out from under you and you realize there's only God, mm -hmm. then so 
it, it's a combination of don't compare. It's a combination of knowing and believing. And I'm a, I'm a good Reformed Presbyterian, I'm going to have to say right now, but I believe strongly in the sovereignty of God in my life and that nothing is happening apart from his plan for me. And so I've got to get in tune with that as hard as it is. Struggling, fighting, screaming. Do your screaming to God, not to other people. Um, I think it's Eugene Peterson who said, uh, skeptics argue with each other. Uh, <laughs> people who want the truth argue with God. Oh, and wow. And scream out David's, David's prayers to God. I mean, David was furious at times. Use his words, pray them back to God. You know, the evil, the evil people seem to be prospering. I'm the only one that has trouble and blah, 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 blah. And David always comes back to, but I know God who you are. I know you are the great God and therefore I will put my trust in you. You got to do it sometimes 20 times a day when you're in hard times. That's good. I'm thinking about, I think it's um, hind speed on high places maybe. Um there's a, the idea of acceptance with joy after suffering and walking through hardship and just coming to this place of yieldedness before God, where you say, I, I will not just resign myself to survive mm -hmm. in your season, you know, but yeah. I, I'm going to accept with joy where you have me. Um, you know, and you're, go ahead. I was just going to say, you're, you're doing that where you are. So I would love to know, you know, some of us listening, our young mamas with little ones and we have the struggles we're walking through and some of us lisa and i both have young adult kiddos becoming mm -hmm. adults adults um and they have their struggles um where you are right now so we we jokingly said but you live with the old people <laughs> <laughs> how do you right where you are sometimes you probably it wouldn't be your first pick for where god has you so how do you yeah. embrace that with joy and what are you doing right now to live out your faith, to live out okay. the gospel. And I, I am a, a mother with, you know, because I didn't marry till later and both of my kids married a little later. So I'm a mother who has grandchildren, the age of everybody else's great-grandchildren where I live. Wow. I mean, they see my kids come in. Oh, is this your great-grandchild? No, this is my grandchild. Molly's four. And, you know, so I have, when you talk about young adults, I still call them young. One just turned 40 and the other's 43. Um, but they're still... It, I cannot stop praying for them. There is no, oh, we finally got there. Oh. You know, um, there I don't no, know if that's good news or bad news. <laughs> <laughs> it's realistic news, Lisa. I'll it's take, realism. I'll take I real. I don't believe it either, you know, and, and I'm not going to go into any details, but we've got some struggles going on and, and, uh, and it's never, ever over. It's never over that you mm. keep, I mean, it's a different way. You've come apart from their lives. You don't, dare tell them what to do anymore but that time you used to tell them to do with your wonderful long letters of instruction which my children joke about all the time you put into you put into prayer you start you, you spend more hours in prayer recognizing that it's only god who can now change their life you don't have that right or privilege anymore unless they come to you and say would you give me advice on this? I, I feel that way very strongly. I want to just go back to one little thing and then I'll go to what I'm doing right now. When you talked about accepting with joy, I've come to the conclusion, and maybe it's because I'm not spiritual enough. I don't know. But I've come to the conclusion that there are things in life, like my situation where I live, where I can choose joy. It took me a while to get there, but I can choose joy or not. There are some moments, and there may be women listening to me right now, there are periods of deep 
deep grief, where as hard as you try, the word joy is foreign to you. Mm. And I've been there. And that didn't mean I didn't go back and say, these are the promises of God. I've got to hang on. It was like I used to say to women, when, when the storms of life are there, hang on to it. Find a rock in the ocean and hang on for dear life. That rock is the Lord. And then I found there were women that didn't have the didn't have the, the uh, ability to even hang on. Mm. I mean, they, they said to me, we can't even hang on. And until I lost Michael, I didn't know what that was either. Um, am I going to mm. get in trouble saying this? If I get in trouble saying this, um, <laughs> I'll get in trouble saying this. I always do that. But somebody, two weeks after my husband died, came and brought me, again, people give you flowers and give you, and she brought me a book and she knew I was a book person. And of course, she had never lost anyone. I learned later in her life up to that point. But she gave me a book that at the time was doing the rounds. And it was called Put a Geranium in Your Hat and Be Happy. And I was so offended uh, by yes. the title. Mm -hmm. And then when I read the book, I started to read it. And I went, I don't need this. And back I went to Elizabeth Elliot and the depths of her despair, <laughs> losing yeah. husband one. And then I was with number two. And I had and C.S. Lewis. And I would scream with him. I was still in the depths. Don't tell me to put a geranium in my hat and be happy. It just, it was... Now, there may be women who can respond to that. And this dear friend who gave it to me thought it would help me. So yeah. she obviously responded to it. But I was furious. Yeah. So there's a time when, and of course, this word joy and happy, you know, we see it different ways. You know, we say the word joy. We should have the deep abiding joy that we belong to God. But joy, as I know it, wasn't in my life for a period of time. I fought for it. Yeah. I fought for it. I'm just saying that. Now back to where I am. I agree um, with you to, to yeah, just yeah. add from our perspective and having walked through what we do with my friend, people just don't know how to respond. Grief is messy. It doesn't have rules. It doesn't follow a set pattern for everybody in terms of timeline. And I don't think we know as a people group how to uh, mourn with those who mourn. Right. Mourning and sorrow makes us uncomfortable. So we're like, OK, let's let's move on now, because if you feel I better, I can feel better. A preacher said to me one time, Job's friends were wonderful till they opened their mouths. Yes. You know, when you got the Bible, they sat with him for how many days and yeah. didn't say a word, just wept with him. Yeah. And this preacher that I heard preach on, she said, if only they had kept their mouths shut. You yes. Know, because, yes. Because when they opened their mouths, then they came out with all these platitudes that, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. we. Our family is someday going to write a book because we've yes. got, my daughter's got them, you know. Oh, I'm the man sure. Up to my daughter, I heard she's in boarding school. She's all alone. She's back at the school because she had to finish her senior year. And a father comes up to her who was visiting and said, oh, I heard you lost your dad. I know that's great grief. I can understand because last week we lost our little dog. Oh, uh, no. And if you knew my daughter back then before she had more sanctification like she has today, I'm surprised she didn't hit him. No. I'm really surprised because she wanted to scream. She just turned and fled, you know, uh, went up to her. Don't tell me about your little dog. I just yes. lost the most important person in my life. I was my daddy's girl. I just lost my dad. So, uh, yeah, we could get into a big discussion on mm. grief. You know, that's that's one of my areas. I, I, I agree. But back to where I am now, um, I soon, I quickly found out that even though my place where I live. It's called a CCRC, which means 
continuing care retirement facility. So I am in the independent living. It's just like living in a hotel. You know, you're kind of like in a hotel, but everybody's got their apartments, a big apartment building. And then there's another building for people who need assisted living. And then you move to uh, nursing, full nursing care. And then there's a, there's a wing for Alzheimer and other uh, mental problems. Uh, so we don't, we're not with those people. We're in, in unless I go to visit them, you know, we're in independent living. So I thought that would make it great. And I, you know, when I came here, I was in my low seventies and I thought, well, there'd be lots of people like me. And I just had a hard time finding somebody that I could say, Hey, do you want to go out to dinner? I mean, on the spur of the moment or, Hey, do you want to go see a movie? I couldn't find anybody like that for a while. As time went on, I met, and I just sought to be a witness where I was, that's all mm. I could do. But I felt it was pretty, I felt pretty useless. Mm. I've learned now that people were watching me. Mm. I didn't know it. I didn't realize it. Because it takes you a while to get to know people. People are older. They have their own, you know, families and their own groupings. And you don't get to know uh, everybody for a while. But um, one day, a gal came to me. And she's younger than me, actually. One of the, She's the youngest one, I think, there. And she came to me and she said, um, uh, I hate Friday nights. And I said, really? What, why do you hate them? She said, it's the hardest time for me with my husband gone. She said, Friday night, we should be doing something. And then it drags into Saturday. And then we have church on Sunday, but it just, I just hate Friday nights. And I said, well, let's do something about it. And that started... Um, me inviting, there's just four of us, and we're talking about bringing a fifth now. My, I have a <laughs> studio apartment. I have always had big houses with lots of room because our houses have been filled with people because that's the way my husband and I live. Now, as after he died and I got on, I got down to two-bedroom apartments, but I still always had two bedrooms, so I could always have guests, and the dining table and the piano were the center of my life. I play the piano, I love music, I love to get people together to sing. And I had a grand piano and I had, even in the living rooms in my apartments where you could hardly wiggle, I still had my grand piano. And then uh, I inherited my mother's little baby grand and I thought I need a baby grand in a retirement place. So I'll take mommy's, I got rid of the other, in fact, I donated to a seminary. And I soon found out from my financial advisor that I couldn't even be dreaming about a two bedroom apartment, not in my wildest dreams, with the little tiny bit of, of, of uh, retirement funds I had from being in missions all my life. And so then I went and I picked a one bedroom. I didn't like it particularly, but I picked it, went back to South Carolina where I was living and called my financial advisor and I said, you'll be very proud of me. I picked this and I gave her the numbers. And she said, did they have any studios when you were there? <laughs> I said, they talked about it, but I didn't even go look at them. I don't want a studio. And she said, you're going to have to have a studio. Mm. And I'm not even sure if we can do that. And I said, Carolyn, don't tell me this. I can't live in a studio apartment. You might have to. Make a long story short, I live in a studio apartment. One room, a, an alcove where my bed is, all my books, my TV so that I can get my news fixed because I'm a news junkie. And, and uh, my computer, and I mentor girls in different parts of, the, of Europe and uh, even in Asia. I, I, I can mentor. I think the computer is the most wonderful thing that ever happened, the Internet. I can mentor through that. I've got a telephone. I can talk. Let's see, telephone talk. All my music I can play. 
Well, I got to interrupt you right here because girls, you've got to, you have to hear this. The first time I went to Sarah's, she's not exaggerating by any means. I, her little apartment is probably the size of my master bedroom. And yet I walked in and she has this coffee table that's raised that we could sit at for our coffee. And one entire wall of her little studio apartment is her books from floor to ceiling, her books of the Lord, studying God's word, studying his work and what he's done. So I'm going to jump in there and say, you have maximized I've that maxed space. It. I've maxed and it. What, now, tell us, what are you doing on Friday nights with that space? Uh, okay. And you know, the thing is, when I moved in too, I just said to the Lord, I only have two requirements, only two. One, my dining room table. It's a long story how I got this oak table for almost nothing. And that coffee table is solid oak. And I got it for nothing from a lady in Germany. That's our other story. And I have to have my piano. It's just a little baby grand, Lord. Well... <laughs> If you put a if you could even get a baby grand into that living room, that's all you'd. I mean, it's not even a living room; it's the room. That's all you'd have. So the two things, the only two things I asked the Lord for, I didn't get. Mm. And now there's a chance for bitterness, okay? And I remember talking to the advisor that brought me in, and she said, "I said, ah, oh, I can't put my table in here. Oh, you don't need a table. Now you get your meals downstairs. By the way, we have gorgeous meals and gorgeous venues." And I looked at her. I said. I cook my own food. You know, I mean, I love cooking and I want to have people in. Oh, well, what you do is you just invite your friends and you go down to the dining room and you all sit at the same table and people serve you. I just kind of, and the kitchen is, what is it? A postage stamp? What would you call it? <laughs> it's like a little, but it does have an oven and a refrigerator and I have a microwave and I do all the Christmas cookie baking for my sons every year and I do everything in that little kitchen. But she said, that's, 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 you don't need to cook anymore. That's what everybody loves here. But I want to cook, but you don't need to cook. And so those were battles I had with God. I don't have a table, but we go around that coffee table with easy chairs. And that's where I serve food. And um, a long story, I helped someone who was very ill one time early in my first two years here. And that person was so grateful to me. They wanted to give me some big gift of a cruise you know, because I helped uh, help this man in a hospital and I refused the cruise because I didn't need a cruise. And he kept bugging me and bugging me. And I knew the cruise was going to cost three or four thousand dollars by the time I got flown to Florida and out on this ship. So I said, how about giving me a gift that costs twelve hundred dollars? Would you because he was insistent that he give mm -hmm. me something. And I got an ele a wonderful electronic piano. So I have this little tiny piano in my apartment. <laughs> That's awesome. He's never sung at that. OK, so I said to these ladies, look. I like to cook. And they all went, we don't. I said, okay, I picked them carefully who they were. And I said, I do. So how about you, instead of us going out to eat, like we do often, I said, you, I bet you I can make a humdinger at $40. <laughs> if we each pay $10, let's start with that as our budget. And I have done this now for yeah, probably only about four or five months, right? Four or five months. And it's called Dinner and a Movie. And they come over and I have candlelight everywhere and all the atmosphere in the world. And and what the one lady says to me, she walks in the door. She's only she's not 70 yet. She's 69. And she says, oh, my Friday night fix. And Aww. I said, what do you mean? She said, I come to peace when I come here. I can't explain it. Yeah. And we're sitting there laughing and joking and having dinner. And and uh, it's not a Bible study. It's an outreach uh, I think two of the women probably know the Lord. One definitely does not. And the other one we're bringing in does not. And the one who doesn't, 
used to keep me at arm's length. And she had heard I was religious. <laughs> and she said to me the first night she left there, it was New Year's Eve. I actually had them over on New Year's Eve. She left there and she said, you know what? I had no idea you were so much fun. <laughs> she had a completely different image of me. And now I'm getting into her life. And as you get into their lives, I don't sit there waiting for a chance to explain the way of salvation. That very rarely ever comes until you're alone with someone after time. I'm earning what I like to say, earning the right to speak to their lives. I'm yes. earning the right as a friend. Yes. And things come up where they decide this and I decide this and they say, why, why, did, why did you do it that way? Then I have a chance because of my whole philosophy of life and what I believe in. They kind of look at me like, oh, and then we go on, you know, mm -hmm. but that's how we did it in Germany. And that's how I'm trying to do it here. The room's tiny. I still cry over lack of space. I have less to clean. Lot, and they come once a month and clean your apartment too. You know, I've got it all. <laughs> once a week, you put your sheets out in a bag outside your door and you get these gorgeous clean sheets back. I fought that the first three months I was there. I said, I wash my, I'm so independent. I'm not going to give my sheets to somebody. You wash my own sheets. And one day as I was folding these big sheets, you know, and I'm getting a little older and my arms were a little sore and I went, well, I'll try it once. You know, I've never, I've never gone back, you know, but I don't give up my cooking. I love to cook and I don't do it all the time. I just do it uh, to enter. I can still entertain and do hospitality, even though it's we come in and we get it. Once you get, they get in the chairs, they're all comfy. When yeah. you get into them, it's a chore. <laughs> right? Oh, Sarah, you and my mother-in-law could be best friends. I think we're going to have to do a retreat with you, me, Angela, and my mother-in-law. <laughs> yes. She, she's in her 80s, and everything you're saying, she's in a facility just like you are, a home. Let's call it a home. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, 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 that independence and that hospitality, and she's a good old Presbyterian just like you. <laughs> who, who is the one that taught me about the sovereignty of God? Yeah. That is where I have learned to say God is sovereign from my mother-in-law. That's wonderful. Th those, those bedrock truths are really, I talked about comparison and all that, but nothing compares to what I believe here. And if that's solid with God, then I can wait on him knowing he's doing this for my good. But if we don't have that, and I know people who throw the word sovereignty of God around, but when it really comes down to, you know, they're screaming and crying over something just having happened. And I try to bring the sovereignty of God in, they don't want to hear it, you know? And I went through a period in my life after Michael's death, when I went into a deep, deep valley for a period of time, not of unbelief, just of questioning God and uh, personally. But I went into a deep valley where I said, yeah, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And look what your sovereignty meant for me. Yeah, I don't like Another, that. You know, and I thought, and this, I've learned since, it's very typical, um, uh, that for easily a year, maybe two years, I lived with the fear that either my son or daughter were going to die too. I think when you come that close to death, you watch that loved one go down, 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 and then you, he just breathes his last breath and it's over. You realize in a new sense how close we all are to death. It could be gone just like this, just like this. Like I said, I didn't like his sovereignty, but I came to realize why. There's questions I used to ask. I don't need to ask anymore. I have the answers.
there's questions I will always ask until I'm in in heaven with the Lord. But I don't need the answers anymore because I've come Mm. back to a place of, okay, I can fully trust you again. I, I, I know I can trust you. But theology, now I'm going to preach. Theology, theology is so important for women. Mm-hmm. And and I'm just meeting women all over the place who've known the Lord for years who don't have a bedrock theology. They don't know what they, they know Jesus died on the cross for their sins. But I'm talking about living, how we live and his plan for our lives and how yeah. this fits in. We've got to have a strong theological basis, women. Yes, we do. So you, you, that's an incredible place for us to kind of, I guess, yeah, wrap up. And I, I want to ask a couple of challenge questions and then I'm, we're going to ask you to close us in prayer today, Sarah, because I want you to pray over us women (laughs) that are listening and and learning from you today. But two questions I want to ask our listeners um, to challenge you. Number one is Sarah talked early on about We asked her, how do you find your place? How do you live out your faith with acceptance where you are in this season? And she said to us, fight for it. And so I want to ask you, as you're listening today, how how do you fight for? How can you fight for? What is God calling you to do right where you are to fight, to hold on to the faith that God has given you and who he is and what he's done and what he will do? And then the second question is, What are a couple of areas or a couple of times in your life recently, could be farther back, that you can clearly see how God has moved to protect you from something, to use a time of heartbreak and tragedy? I mean, Sarah didn't hold back with us. She shared, you know, some really hard things God's allowed her to walk through. Um, So I want to challenge you, journal them, write down, take a few minutes, two or three areas or times that you can specifically, specifically look back and say, God, you did this. And as Sarah said to us, I can trust you. Mm. Um, and hopefully, you know, this has just been as ah, amazing for you as it has for Lisa and I. And um, Sarah, will you pray over us as we close out today? Heavenly Father, I thank you that I am your child. I thank you that you sought me and you found me. And I thank you that for that verse that says, We love him because he first loved us. You chose me. I am your child. And if you did that, Lord, then you know everything about what is happening tomorrow, what is maybe happening on the way home today, what is happening in the lives of my children, what is happening in the lives of the women who are listening today. We belong to you. You have a plan for our life and all things, even the bad, work together for what you are trying to make us, how you're preparing us for heaven, how you're preparing us and making us more and more into your image. I pray that women listening today will dig deeper. If they're not in the word of God, that they'll dig deeper, that they'll find a Bible study or a group or a person with whom they can study the word of God, that they'll seek out advice from older, wiser Christians, and that this thing will become real intentional Lord, when we believe you're in control, life is a whole lot easier, even in the hard times. I pray for these dear women that have this podcast and they're reaching women with it. I pray for Lisa today. I pray for Angela and just bless them, Lord, and deepen them in this work that they are doing. Thank you for what you're doing in all our lives. And we look forward to that day when we will be gathered together with you 
and eternal life. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. No, I, I always I'm a crier and I yeah. am so blessed, Sarah, by you being yeah. with us today. And I know like from the feedback I've gotten from our listeners and my friends who are listening to this yeah. podcast, they the, their comments have been um, to hear Christ preached and his love and his his faithfulness and what I feel like you were able to share with us today is is the side of suffering that we don't talk about but that we need to talk about because that is theology that we are to suffer in Christ and so I think the the tears are just overwhelming gratitude that you're willing to be with us and face the technology challenge that is that keeps so many women of your generation silent right yeah right it's really true oh my goodness I don't know about you girls listening, but what an incredible gift to hear the wisdom of a life lived of faithfulness, um, still ongoing faithfulness in the Lord because of his provisions and to be prayed over. Sarah, what a gift to us. Thank you so much. It's been my joy to be here with you, and I, I will continue to pray for you women in this ministry. Carry on. Thank you for listening to the More to Be podcast. We're praying you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and His Word during our time together today. Be sure to visit moretobe.com slash podcast for show notes and free downloadable resources. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day.